Hello everyone, welcome to Refugees on Air. This is your host Sarah and Maya with Aqual Garang. How are you Aqual? I'm good. That's really good. And we are super, super happy to have you here on our show. I think you might be our youngest interviewee, actually. Yeah, you are. Which is so cool. That sounds cool. Thank you for having me. No, it's all good. So let's get started. Aqual, what is your background and how was your journey like to Australia? So I'm originally from South Sudan. Um, Mm -hmm. I migrated to Australia in 2001. So prior to that, a war that broke out in my country. So that forced my parents to flee. So they left Sudan to Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Basically, it took about a month walking there. Um, at oh, the time, wow. my mom was, was nine months pregnant with me. Yeah, so each time she tells me this story, I'm like, I don't understand how a nine month person could just be walking in your walking, pocket and yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we spent about a year in Ethiopia, um, moving like from one camp to another. Mm-hmm. And then we eventually um, went to Kenya, where we spent the next 11 years there. Um, so I just basically grew up there as a child and lucky enough in 2001 we came to Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So how was it like living your childhood in a refugee camp with your mother before you started seeking asylum to Australia? So I lived there, like I said, for about 11 years and mm-hmm. it was quite difficult from the beginning. Um, yeah, as you can imagine, living in a refugee camp, there was um, no proper education, there was no proper housing, no clean water. Um, there was basically a lot of things were not available. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I didn't get to ride my first bike until I came to Australia, so basically <laughs> I missed out on... Same, same, yeah. Childhood. Yeah, so a lot of things. Um, I had my first girl when I was like 12. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of things. Um, you you kind of like miss all that out, but my mum always kind of just made us feel comfortable and did whatever she could to make us happy. So wake mm-hmm. up in the morning, she'd go off and find food and we, we ate. So like for us, it was okay as children because we're not aware... Yeah. what's happening but for parents they do struggle and yeah so it's it's it's, it's quite difficult mm-hmm. and yeah. for 11 years as well like yeah. that's basically like your entire childhood yeah. there as well yeah. 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 yeah yeah literally yeah do you have any fond memories while you were living in the refugee camp or anything that will stick in your memory forever basically growing up like i had my siblings there were there um, two of them and we had friends and a lot of us just used to wake up in the morning go off and play for about five six hours mm-hmm. and um yeah we just uh, did as much as we can as children because there was no phones or anything there so parents yep. did not know where you were you just go and have fun so for us it's just like um it was good in a way but then at the same time still bad but i still just look back to that and yeah you kind of look at the positives when yeah. you're a young person yeah mm-hmm. yeah and just just playing as a child and making um uh, what do you call like just little soccer balls we used to make out of um you just get like a sock and then you put in like paper bags and everything and mm-hmm. keep putting it until it becomes big and then you turn it into like a little ball mm-hmm. and you use that to play in the soccer ball so it just yeah like when i think back now that's silly but then to us it was it was everything that you had. yeah yeah so it was good it's yeah. so weird like you think you think um a lot of children in you know people who grew up in refugee camps they would just not appreciate everything but then when you have so little when you have these things that you can either make a soccer ball or do something different or have fun i don't think a lot of people know that there's still life in refugee camps people still try to make the most yeah. out of their lives no matter where they're situated you know yeah that's true yeah so like if you're stuck there for like a those 10 11 years or whatever you can you you try to, to take the positive out of it and turn mm-hmm. it into your homes or whatever it is whether it's um uh, like making friends or saying i'm going to be here for the next five ten years so mm-hmm. i'm going to try to do as much as i can to yeah. enjoy life so people are not it's like life is difficult but you 
try and just be happy and just yeah. be grateful for what you have the little things that you have you're alive you're well and that's all that matters mm-hmm. and i think that's the, that's the spirit that people have in them and that's what gets them through those years yeah yeah perfect amazing what are some misconceptions that you think too many people have about living in refugee camps it's for the question that i tend to get a lot of or the misconception that I tend to get a lot from people mm-hmm. is like, oh yeah, you live in refugee camps, that means you get everything for free, right? And oh. I'm like, yeah, nah, it doesn't work out like that. So basically living in like a camp, the UNHCR will provide you with just small things. For example, you'll get flour and like salt and oil mm-hmm. and like other, other small little things to, to just to make the food, but everything else you've got to go out of your way to find it, whether it's like finding clothes or your shoes or the just extra thing or something to do your hair with or comb. So those are the things it's like, you will go and sell the little flour that you have to buy those, those mm-hmm. clothes, yeah. So not everything is handed to you. Just the basic things for you to live with are given to you, but everything else you, you just, yeah. You have to work for. Yeah, you yeah. have to work for it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, they, but they all just assume that you're just handed everything and you're happily living there, which is not the case. Yeah. That's true. I think that's a really strong point to make. And uh, I've never really had a proper conversation with someone that has lived in a refugee camp, so it's really interesting for me and Sarah to mm. hear that. You know, Especially, f- yeah, for a very long time as well. You know, you have to cope with your surroundings at some point. It's uh, it's awesome to to know that people still look for the positives in there, and it's not all just negatives. Yeah, yeah like yeah. what the media portrays, hundred percent. A call. What are some of the main challenges you faced during your settlement in Australia? I arrived here as a young child, so basically I came and then I was put in grade five, and at mm-hmm. that time I had no idea how to speak English, mm-hmm. so being in an environment where everybody spoke English and people had already like well uh, they've the already made their groups. own friends and everything like that mm-hmm. and then I felt like as if I was isolated so I had a teaching aid so there was a teacher that was just sitting next to me yep. and she was able to help me out and yep. she's like teaching me ABCs like while the kids that are around 12, 13 are doing like proper maths and things like that mm. and then I found it quite difficult to communicate with anybody um, so with friends or anything like that and I, I, I found myself like I spent a lot of time hanging around on my own in like playgrounds and things like that until I managed to pick up the language mm-hmm. and that was the same issue that my parents faced as well so for them it's like um, so say for example if my mom was to go shopping she was not able to say oh you know I want to buy this or somebody said oh, it was ten fifteen dollars she had no idea what ten fifteen dollars so just that language barrier mm-hmm. was quite difficult and we came and we were put in our own little community where you're like you're with your own people but then it's like this is not your country so it's kind of like they're not able to communicate with you and mm-hmm. communication is a very important thing especially if you're in a foreign um, country mm-hmm. yeah so just that for a while it, um, it was quite difficult but we eventually managed to find our way here to find your way and you know yeah. fit in as well yeah for me i managed to make friends through sports because i was really good at like basketball and stuff and stuff like that so kids came around it's like oh show me how you do this and you do that yeah <laughs> yeah and then through that I, I started making friends and then by the time I got to grade six I actually became the sport captain oh yeah, watch out yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like really good at 800 meters as well so I used that's to do a lot so of good my running, yeah yeah so through that I think I started making friends 
because you don't like the game so much and you say, yeah, that's so yeah. good. 100%. Yeah. yeah, that's really great to hear. I think, yeah, yeah Sarah and I, like, we had to be put in a uh, English language school for six months to mm-hmm. develop our English. Yeah. And then we got put into grade five. Yeah. Now, grade five was a bit difficult for both of us. I think a lot of people who arrive to a new country, um, you know, in your case, you didn't speak English, but luckily me and Maya, we knew some English um, because we learnt it back back home but yeah just I completely understand what you mean trying to fit in and we also played basketball me and Maya um, and that's how we kind of made friends and kind of made our way through the school like we were known maybe for a while as like the basketball twins or something now we're known as the radio twins so it's all good (laughs) but uh but yeah like completely get where you're coming from with that yeah most of my high school years I spent just doing sport because I was like really really good at running I made it to the state levels actually wow. yeah, 800 <laughs> meters. so yeah so that was like my thing and that's a lot of it so but if you were to go back to my primary school they have like this board thing with like people names for every single year that they're awarded stuff mm-hmm. I think like five years in a row my name was just like <laughs> oh wow yeah, that's so, amazing yeah so that was my thing yeah so just running and um, sports yeah and I, I stopped I think in year 10 or yeah because I'm like, oh, you need to focus on school now and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But Same. That, yeah, I probably could have made it to the Olympics or something. But <laughs> now I can't feel like that. Just the Olympics, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nah, that's, that's yeah. awesome. Turn yeah. to law, though. Yeah, yeah you know, still, still alright, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Nicole, you've done a lot of speaking events about raising awareness for refugees and several other issues. Could you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do? And how you started in it as well. Okay, so I started... Um, I think about five years ago so I volunteered with Ames and I was like a volunteer tutor so like an English tutor and I, I would go to like um, um, to houses where people have just arrived into Australia mm-hmm. and I would like tutor them um, just basic English because I understand the struggles that my parents went through so I'm like oh you know um, I already know the stages and what it takes so like I just wanted to um, give back to the community yeah, yeah just be able to give back to the community and just be like I understand your struggle yeah so just being able to like give back and to show people that there's light at the end of the tunnel so that was like the main important thing for me so mm-hmm. after I, I did that I moved uh, I kind of moved on to the SRC mm-hmm. and then I was volunteering with them and helping people that are currently applying for like the protection visa people yep. that have been mm-hmm. in detention and have come out mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of like similar background that I'm doing now because I'm a registered migration agent and I have my own Ooh. business, so on the side I just go and help with the visa and everything. That's yeah. so cool. What business do you own? Um, so it's a migration agency. Yeah, so then um, I assist people who are applying for visas whether you want to come to Australia or you're already in Australia. And so that's the, that's what I do. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to point out that you're 27 only, or 26 turning 27. So, so you're still a student completing your Master's of Human Rights Law. Yeah. At Monash. Yeah. Um, do you want to speak to us and more like about that? Almost an Olympian as well, <laughs> which is so cool. And yeah. owning a business. Yeah, like, watch out. <laughs> Did you want to tell us a little bit about the masters that you're studying? Yeah, so after I started volunteering, I actually started to, um, to have a better understanding of, of the program and, and the course and everything. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. human rights law, because that was the program that I was doing at the SRC. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what kind of course can I do? So then I found out there was a course at, um, at Monash, mm-hmm. and it sounded really interesting, so then I that on just to be able um, to learn as much as I can and get a better understanding and, uh, and applying those knowledge to my practice and to my volunteering as, a, um, as well. Yep. Yeah, so that's why I took it on. That's awesome. So good. Did you always like want to 
work in a pathway like yeah that. even like during high school because i know for me and maya we're always like changing our minds yeah. and a lot of kids uh, don't know what they want to do after high school so was doing human rights law or understanding the system more something that you've always been passionate about so from the beginning i've always wanted to do law but i just never knew what kind of law mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so my parents were asking so you want to do law i'm like yeah are you gonna go in the courts no but i never really <laughs> understood what it is that i wanted to do mm-hmm. but then um I started doing like the volunteering on my work and yeah. everything and then slowly it starts making sense. So like yep. tomorrow I'll do something else like, yep, so it's this field and slowly it starts connecting. Yep. So from the beginning it wasn't 100%, it's just I knew I wanted to do law, but I just never knew what kind of law it is I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then from all this, it came clear to me that mm-hmm. it was human rights and just like refugee based and everything. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So where do you find the motivation to do all these amazing things that you do and why do you do it? Through people, so basically people that I meet, they kind of like motivate me to work even harder and just like try and see what I can do to help them even more, if that makes sense. Through volunteering, I know like me and my volunteer at SIN, but it's kind of a different <laughs> approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like meeting so many people and getting to hear their stories and share their stories. Yeah. And it like makes us like motivated to do what we're doing and it makes us not take everything that we have for granted oh 100 percent yeah i'm so glad i started this show you know <laughs> the stories that you hear they change your they yeah, change your perspective a yeah. on a lot I mean, of it's things just like, oh my goodness like um you kind of complain about your life but then when you hear other people's stories and like, yeah. i should be grateful and the struggles that they're going through mm-hmm. and like oh man what can i do to help you know yeah so, yeah yeah it so just, it just uh, yeah motivates you to like even be a better person if that makes sense 100 percent yeah 100 yeah. 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 So how was it like travelling back to your hometown in 2015 and helping out people in the UNHCR camps? Um, it was an interesting experience because going back there for like the first time and then being able to like see family and everything and the situation that they're in and yeah and all that. So um, for a while I was overwhelmed and then I sat down and I'm like, oh, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then I went and asked things that were going on and then I asked to be taken um, to the camps and then saw what was happening there and I assisted people filling in their forms trying mm-hmm. to get passports and things like that yeah. yeah yeah did you kind of like see yourself in those situations you know when they were there mm-hmm. and how people you know helped you get to where you are and now you're just helping them back yes yes so it's always like that it's kind of like oh what can i do to give back and that's yep. always my mentality so mm. if i'm put in a situation it's like okay so i've already been in this situation people are going through this what can I do to help mm-hmm. yeah so through that I saw that they needed help filling in forms I'm like it's an easy process I've done this so many times mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna go and, and, assist. and help yeah. them out yeah yeah and then they felt like oh you know it kind of gave them hope because like oh you were in the same situation as us now you've gone yeah. back and you've come now and you're speaking to us in a foreign language mm-hmm. oh, it, for them it was quite exciting it's like oh you know this could be us in the future and it just gives them hope yep yeah so it was an interesting experience I find that so awesome that you yeah. just you get to have this opportunity to go back to you know what when you, where you once were and make a change in those people's lives yeah. and you know and and what you said inspire them to have someone to look up to them and see that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel there yeah. is hope. So how do you think people in Australia could be more welcoming to refugees? There's a lot of ways, but I think it's important if they just kind of like approach people and acknowledge them, and if you go out of your way. Say for example, like I do, just to volunteer, to give up your time to volunteer with the, with the SRC or Refugee League or, ju- or just any organization where the people are in there and mm-hmm. being able to be, uh, like, if you are around them, you understand the, the issues that they're facing and then you're able to have a better understanding of how you can 
like a system yeah so if you just give up your time but if you do not have time to volunteer then it's basically being able to like if you can just donate any clothes that you have or food like right now we're seeing time a lot of them don't have money to be buying jackets and things like that Mm -hmm. yeah so just saying that oh you know you're welcome to the country i don't really have much to to offer you Mm -hmm. but i have this jacket and and you can take that so then they'll, they'll feel some form of like uh you know i've, I've been accepted inside Acceptance, this person yeah. has taken like their jacket and they care about me and they've given this so just the smallest things in life are actually quite important for some people sometimes and i yeah. think yeah that could be very helpful and i think that's yeah. looked over a lot of times just people yeah. when they think about big problems like refugees and asylum seekers they just think about how we can help them in the biggest way but yeah. actually there's so many little things Basic. that people can do yeah you can do yeah because there's a lot of things that we cannot change whether it, like if you're trying to advocate to close down the detentions or things like that those policies will take a very long time yeah but just doing the smallest things while they're still here mm-hmm. will make a very difference in their life while they're waiting for those other things to take place mm, yeah. yeah yeah like i said the smallest things can make a very big difference even just smiling and waving to somebody on the street yeah. they could be having a really bad day yeah. or, or most people are here in this country they don't have family so, so that means they like they could go through a whole entire week without speaking to anybody. And if you were to just walk down on the street and just say hi, that yep. could be the first conversation they've had in a very yep. long time. And that could like just mean the difference between them smiling and Not, being sad. Yeah. 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 So just the smallest things are quite 100%. Important. I yeah. completely agree with that. Yeah. If there are any refugees or newly, newly arrived people who are listening in, what word of advice could you offer them if they're struggling to adapt to their new lives here? Basically, you just always have hope. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, like, like I said before, there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. And if you're struggling with English or finding jobs or anything, it's just to, be, to like, always have hope and know that there's somebody out there that's willing to help. It's just mm-hmm. putting yourself out there, yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah, just never give up. Because you've gone through everything that you've gone through in your country. You've made it and you're still alive. Yes. Yeah, there's always just... And hope, yeah, yeah, and just to know that there are a lot of people who have gone through the same things you yeah. have, and yeah. they've come out on the other end being successful yeah. and yeah. lawyers and Olympians <laughs> and all yeah. these different things. So yeah, um, yeah I completely agree. Yeah, 100% so just, yeah, don't with give that. up on life; your time will eventually come. Well, thank you so much, Akual, for coming in today and sharing your amazing and inspiring story with us. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Busy, busy schedule. Yeah, very busy. I had so much fun, so thank you guys for having me. It's been really good, yeah. It's all good. We just wish you all the best in the future and, you know, you're probably... We hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, you're going to be like a... You're gonna be like awesome. you're gonna be a lawyer. Like, there's not even okay. a person I can compare you to because oh, you're that thank you. unique. That's too kind. Thank you. <laughs> no worries.